We'll hear argument first this term in Altria Group versus Stephanie Good. Mr. Olson. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Respondents' state law claims track nearly verbatim the Cigarette Labeling Act's preemption provision. For example, the complaint challenges promotions of light cigarettes as less harmful and safer to smokers than regular cigarettes. But the statute, Congress, explicitly preempted any requirement respecting the promotion of cigarettes based upon smoking and health. In short, the respondents are seeking in state court precisely what Congress preempted. There is no space. Mr. Olson, what if the state law claim did not require any inquiry into the relationship uh, between smoking and health? Something along the lines of saying, uh, our studies show that uh, light cigarettes are healthier for you. And in fact, their studies show the opposite. So all you would how the plaintiff would have to show is that there was a deception, a, a disconnect between the studies and the ad. Wouldn't matter whether light cigarettes were healthier or, or not healthier. Is that the type of action that could be brought? Well, I think the facts could differ from case to case, Mr. Chief Justice, but the inquiry is going to be generally, I think, fairly simple. Is there a requirement? Is it based upon smoking and health? And does it appear in an advertising or promotion of a cigarette? Now, I suppose there might be conceivably be circumstances where it's impossible to tell that the requirement is not connected in some way with smoking and health. But it's certainly clear here the complaint specifically talks in terms of promoting cigarettes, purporting to be less harmful or safer, despite serious health problems associated with smoking. These appear at the beginning in paragraph 2 of the amended complaint, which is at at pages um, beginning of joint appendix, pages 26 through 28. I invite the Court's attention to paragraph 2 of the amended complaint and paragraphs 15 and 18 of the amended complaint. In fact, the words promotion, cigarettes, smoking, safety, and health, the very words that appear in the Labeling Act statute, appear I counted at least 12 times in the amended complaint. Is it a question of just how you phrase it, Mr. Olson? Is there any scope? Does your argument leave any scope for Attorney General, State Attorney General, imposition of state law remedies against a deceptive practice involving the advertising of cigarettes? To give you a concrete example, Suppose the State Attorney General said, in every, in the, suppose the practice were, in every carton of cigarettes, the, the cigarette manufacturer includes an insert that says, if you want to ingest less nicotine, buy our cigarettes. If you want to ingest less nicotine, buy our cigarettes. And the State Attorney General goes after that statement in the carton as false and deceptive advertising. Well, Would there I, be any scope for that? I think that there is, in answer to the, the general question that you asked, Justice Ginsburg, there's plenty of room for an attorney general to pursue deceptive advertising. Another example, and I'll come to the one you mentioned, is that someone might misrepresent the number of cigarettes in a package or other things having to do with cigarettes. That would not necessarily be related to smoking and health. So there's not a preemption if there's not a relationship 
between the, the prohibition and smoking and health. The example you gave might require some sort of inquiry as to what is motivating the Attorney General. The motivation is what you referred to, your, your, your court referred to in the Riley case. Um, and I, I would say, Mr. Olson, doesn't, doesn't your, your, your answer in effect, in practical terms, exclude the possibility uh, of inserts like that? I mean, what else would they be addressing? Uh, except smoking and health. That's the only subject on the table. I think that's probably true in most cases, Justice Souter, that the reason why there might be regulations at the state level having to do with cigarettes and advertising, by and large, is going to have to do with smoking and health. The Court went through the same inquiry in the Riley case where it had to do with billboards. So in your answer, then, to my specific example would be the Attorney General could not go after such a statement if you want to ingest less nicotine by our cigarettes. If, if, the, the, if the courts were to conclude that it had a relationship with smoking and health, the answer is yes, Justice Ginsburg. But there might be some case in which someone said, well, the issue about nicotine and content of nicotine um, is being regulated because it doesn't have anything to do with smoking and health. But in the environment in which this, this statute was passed, and this litigation was pursued, there certainly isn't any question here. Now, I think Justice Stevens, even in, dis- in his dissenting opinion in the Riley case, focused on the content. He said, and of course, the dis- your concur- the dissenting opinion in that case said, as opposed to location, that the Labeling Act was focusing on the content of advertising. So suppose that uh, a new drug is found for the treatment of a condition, glaucoma, hypothetical. And the evidence is stunningly clear that smoking uh, with this new uh, drug causes a severe allergic reaction. Does the cigarette manufacturer have any duty to disclose this on the label or in promotions? No, um, Justice Kennedy. To the extent the Federal, the Federal Trade Commission, by the way, has full authority to regulate the. No, sep- I, the, the, they've, they've, they've just found this out last week. Do they have? Do they have any? There can be no, I take it under your position, there can be no suit based on misleading or false or promotion or labeling, and there can be no suit even for the sale of an unsafe item? Well, there could be, the, the states may regulate the sale of items. The Labeling Act provision only relates to um, promotion, marketing, advertising, and that sort of thing. The state can prohibit the sale of cigarettes. States and municipalities have done that sort of thing. This statute has three provisions in it. Is what the state is attempting to do a requirement or prohibition? There's no question that that's involved here. Does it have to do with the advertising or promotion of cigarettes? There's no question that this complaint is aimed at the advertising and promotion of cigarettes. And does the advertising or promotion have to do with smoking and health? So in your view, it says in Cipollone that this, uh, the, the four people said in Cipollone that uh, this statute does not preempt state law where it's based on a prohibition of making a false statement of material fact. For example, to make a funny example, uh, uh, somebody could advertise uh, smoking 42 cigarettes a day will grow back your hair. <laughs> okay, that's totally false. And in your view, that would be preempted, that Congress intended to preempt a state law that says you cannot 
make a completely false statement of material fact. I don't. If it's based on, it has something to do with smoking and health. I don't mean to be whimsical, yeah. but I think that the, to the extent there's a representation with respect to growing hair yeah. or something like that, that may not, it probably isn't, have to do with smoking and health. Oh, well, I was trying to, I, mean, I was trying to produce an off. I mean, well, it will build strong bodies eight ways. <laughs> to, yes, to, and, and let me say with respect to the Chipolone plurality opinion which was found to be baffling, confusing, litigation-generating, um, easily evaded by the, the labeling of the complaint, the, and, and superseded by a number of subsequent decisions by this Court. It should be set aside and restated. However, the very case that the Chipolone decision in the plurality did decide was preempted even under that plurality opinion, and this is at page 527 of the opinion, is an advertising that purported to neutralize, minimize, downplay, negate, or disclaim the warning label on the packages. This complaint is precisely that claim. You could probably not have written a claim more squarely. Well, but the, reason, the reason I think the plurality wrote this, I'm guessing, but when you read through this statute, it seems as if what Congress had in mind in the statute was not setting aside state law, which is traditional, about not making false statements, false deceptive advertising law. It was concerned with a different thing. They said to the cigarette companies, you have to put on the label, smoking is dangerous to your health. We don't want states telling you to put other things like that on the label. And we don't want states forbidding you to put a picture of the Marlboro Man or Lauren Bacall with her cigarette. We don't want states to tell you that you can't do that. That would be focused on the object of the statute, which no one said had as its objective, setting aside traditional unfair and deceptive advertising law. I think that's the argument again. That is, that is the argument, and the, and the respondents are making that argument. I submit that that argument is squarely answered by the text of the statute, which this Court has said again and again you have to turn to. The text of the statute says no requirement or prohibition. It doesn't say no requirement or prohibition except one which is expressly misleading. And the reason um, you mentioned, Justice Breyer, what was the background for the statute or what was Congress intending to do. Well, fortunately, on Section 1331 of the Labeling Act, which is on 1A of the blue brief, Congress declares its policy and purpose squarely, unequivocally, and in what this Court said in Riley was sweeping language. Any relationship between smoking and health, and then Congress went on to point out that with the labeling requirements, it intended for consumers to receive certain information about the smoking of cigarettes with specific labels, and then went on to say, without hurting the commerce and the national economy to be protected from confusing cigarette labeling and advertising regulations that might be non-uniform, confusing, or diverse. Now, Justice Stevens, again, in the Riley opinion, when he was distinguishing, in his concurring opinion, I can't recall whether it's a concurring or dissenting opinion, um, um, f focused on the fact that different requirements by different states 
might cause those very diverse, confusing advertising. If one state says you've got to put something else in there about this, one state says that so-called descriptors are misleading, as what was the case in, in this case, or another state says, like Illinois did in another case, that they're not misleading, that national advertising becomes impossible. That's inconsistent, and Congress expressed what its policy was. And, Justice Breyer, the Court went through the same process in the Morales case and the Wolins case in connection with airline and deregulation and whether or not misleading advertising might be expressly preempted. The Court went through the same sort of process in the Regal case with respect to medical devices. The Court went through the same process in the Roe case, decided on the same day as Regal in connection with another context, and, and, and again with respect to the Riley case. The Mr. Court Wilson, you're here. relying on 1334B, I take it, specific. I'm, yes, Justice Stevens, not just 1334B, but 1331, which it helps well, explain. But the, but the prohibition you're talking about is in 13, in your express preemption argument, 1334B. And I was just going to ask you, is it a state requirement prohibiting false statements about smoking and health, a requirement based on smoking and health? I think it is, unless I misunderstood your question. If a state decides what may be in the advertising or promotion. No, the, the, the predicate for based on smoking is the word requirement. And you, in a requirement that you may not make any false statements, would that be a requirement based on smoking and health? Well, the, it, the statute contains the word both requirement and prohibition. And in your plurality opinion in Chipolone, on page 527, the same page I mentioned before, you made the point that a prohibition is merely the converse of a requirement, and either a prohibition or a requirement with respect to advertising, if it relates to smoking and health, is, is preempted. The, the question I'm, I'm asking, though, is a requirement that you make no false statements a requirement based on smoking and health? Yes, and to the extent — now, we're not saying that the Massachusetts Unfair Practices Statute is preempted in all respects. It's only when the statute, like a common law tort provision, which the Court considered in Regal, has application to the context of smoking and health. If the Court starts with the Morales case, through the Wolins case, through the Bates case, through the Regal case, through the Riley case, it's the application of the statute. In the Riley case, it was a, it was a statute of Massachusetts very much some identical, virtually identical to the main statute here. And in, in, the, in the Riley case, the Attorney General was attempting to apply the generalized unfair practice statute to the advertising of smoking and cigarettes near schools. This is a similar statute which is attempted to be applied in the context of these labels and the advertising of cigarettes. It's the application of a generalized statute. This Court repeatedly said, and specifically said in the Regal case, there's hardly any common law requirements, which are requirements the Court has repeatedly held, and the respondents don't dispute that. They specifically acknowledge it when it's the application of a general standard to the circumstances of the case. That's where the preemption occurs. Congress didn't want to preempt general common law standards about fraud or, or misrepresentation or anything like that, except in the context of the marketing. Why, why, why would Congress? I mean, the difficulty that the other side raises here is just what Cipollone said. 
I can understand totally why Congress would not want 50 states telling cigarette companies what to say about health and smoking or taking off pictures of the Marlboro ad. I can understand that. What I can't understand is why Congress would want to get rid of, in this area, the traditional rule that advertising has to tell the truth. Now, what you said was you could end up with different applications of that in different states. Of course, every national advertiser faces that situation at the moment. Everyone who advertises across the nation could find deceptive anti-deception laws differently administered in different states, yet they've survived. There's no evidence even that there's a problem. So why would Congress want to get rid of that particular statute? Well, the, the Court, uh, this Court recently in Aetna versus Davila specifically said that preemption can't be decided based upon the label that the plaintiff puts in the complaint. Now, as, as I think every member of this Court would know, a creative plaintiff's lawyer can call a claim misrepresentation, willful misrepresentation, concealment, failure to warn, and so on and so forth. It's just a matter of how they change the label on the complaint. Now, what Congress didn't want, and and I just gave an example of a situation where Illinois decided that the descriptors, which are an issue in this case, were not misleading and there was not and, and they could continue to be used. What happened in this case, applying the main statute, is the court decided that they were misleading and, and couldn't be but used. But did the Illinois, uh, Illinois court reach the question whether the uh, claim was pre- uh, preempted? Uh, you apparently decided on the merits there was no fraud, if I understand what you said. That's correct. And I'm not citing. So must have assumed there was no preemption, because it wouldn't have reached the merits otherwise. I, I haven't got all of the specifics of that case, but what I, that, what I just simply meant, uh, but I think it's an example of what you said in your concurring opinion in Riley, that if you're going to conduct a national advertising campaign, it can't be governed by what a jury might decide in Des Moines versus what a jury might decide in Birmingham, Alabama. And, the, but when is, it's not. Is it the jury factor? I mean, you said the attorney general could not Stop, my example, if you want to ingest less nicotine, buy our lights. The Attorney General could not proscribe that. So nothing that you're saying turns on it being the jury rather than the Attorney General, does it? Well, no, that's absolutely correct, Justice Ginsburg. In fact, the panoply of this Court's decisions say that it doesn't matter whether it's a statute, a generalized statute that's being applied or a common law standard that's being applied. And it does not matter whether it's an attorney general interpreting and enforcing a general provisions. I give you Morales and the Wallen situation. Or it's whether it's a common law tort action being brought by a plaintiff to submit a case to a jury so a la regal. Your position is essentially that Congress, and as far as the advertising of low or light, Congress empowered one decision-maker only, and that's the FTC, and if they don't act, then 
the cigarette companies can say anything they want about low tar, low nicotine. Well, there's also, um, uh, I, I think it doesn't, it's not dispositive of the preemption case, but there's also the master settlement agreement that the tobacco companies entered into with the states, which give the states a lot of power to enforce various different things. But I think that the point here is that, yes, Congress decided that it wanted one uniform source of regulation of advertising of cigarettes with respect to smoking and health. Now, does, it, does the consent decree say anything about advertising low light? Those the master settlement agreement. Yes. I, I don't. I can't answer that question. I don't know the answer to that question. But what I, I believe that it would allow broad powers by the attorney generals. But I have, hasten to say, as I did at the beginning, because some parties entered into that master settlement agreement, I don't think changes the federal's. Congressional intent is very clear. It wanted the, the, the statement, Congress wanted the statements, certain statements on cigarette packages. It didn't want any confusion about what the marketing or promotion of cigarettes would be. I can't imagine, Justice Ginsburg, a clearer statement. It says no requirement or prohibition in Section 1334B, and in 1331 it says comprehensive federal program to deal with cigarette labeling and advertising with respect to any relationship between smoking and health. But, Mr. Olson, isn't, isn't the problem that Congress was equally clear uh, or has at least been assumed to be equally clear uh, in, a, in a contrary line of reasoning that holds against you? Uh, and that line of reasoning is this. You, you agree, everybody agrees, that the FTC uh, can can represent can can regulate uh, advertising and, and supposed deception on matters that do affect uh, relate to smoking and health. Uh, it is pretty much one book law at this stage of the game that the that the FTC's regulation of deceptive advertising does not exclude state regulation uh, of deceptive advertising as a general proposition. In fact, the FTC. Uh, is very happy to have complementary state regimes. That state of the law is just as clear, it is at least as clear, as you say the language is here. Now, given the fact that the FTC can regulate uh, advertising of cigarettes uh, in, 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 the, in the respect that matters here, why don't we have to give some recognition to this complementary regime of state regulation, uh, which, as a general proposition, survives it. Well, so that what uh, all I'm saying is what we have here is, uh, you say, a clear preemption provision, but we also have a clear regulatory regime which is at odds with that preemption provision, uh, and presumably we've got to give some effect to that too. Well, the, the statute deals with this to a degree in Section 1336 by saving certain responsibilities, but I think the more powerful answer is that the background principle, the Federal Trade Commission Act and federal and state trade uh, fair practices act are a part of a national scheme, just exactly as you said. If well, the but they're part of a national scheme, but in practical terms, you can say that of any subject matter that the FTC regulates. Uh, and nonetheless, the complementary state regimes of, of, of regulating deception uh, survive, so that the argument you're making here is an argument that can be made, I suppose, on every subject that the FTC touches. Well, no. As a matter of fact, I could not disagree more, Justice Souter. That's the general background scheme. Then Congress specifically 
addresses smoking and health in advertising of cigarettes. The same — Your implied — your implied preemption argument would certainly fall prey to that uh, — to that point. Well, it — we have — I'd like to spend um, no time on the implied preemption argument. Good idea. Because I think <laughs> — I think — this is the, the — the Congress could not have been more clear. And another answer to your question, Justice Souter, is the Airline Deregulation Act. You dealt — your court dealt with this in the Morales case and the Wollins case. This, you could have said the same thing there, that there's a background principle against unfair — Perhaps we did not think of it. I don't — I think that uh, it's clear that the — looking at the briefs in that case, that those very, very same arguments were made. The same argument could have been made in the Regal case with respect to devices. The general principle that I'm making that I think Congress understands, and this Court has clearly understood, is that there is a background principle that the Federal Government is not preempting deceptive practice regulations except when Congress specifically says so. Now, one more point because I think the white light will come on. The United States government did not address, in this case, the express preemption argument. But a few years ago, in the Riley case, having to do with the very same statute, the Cigarette Labeling Act, the United States government said that the Labeling Act preempted state laws concerning the content of cigarette advertising, the content of cigarette advertising. That's what the government said then. And the acting solicitor general During the argument in that case, in response to a question by one of your members of this court, specifically said the the, the statute would preempt state laws about filters or the safety of a particular cigarette. That was the position of the United States government a couple of years ago, and they have not changed. Mr. Chief Justice, if I may reserve the balance of my time. Thank you, Mr. Olson. Mr. Frederick. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. When Congress enacted the Labeling Act, uh, the 1969 Labeling Act, it gave no intention whatsoever to immunize cigarette makers for the false statements that they made in violation of anti-deception in the marketplace rules. They didn't empower the FTC with any special rulemaking authority that applied industry-wide. And, in fact, the FTC's enforcement authority with respect to individual companies was quite limited. The argument that Philip — Mr. Frederick, suppose that the the FTC had adopted the rule that it considered in 1970 and required the the tar and nicotine figures — uh, that were produced by this, the particular testing method that, that is at issue here to be placed on all cigarette ads and promotions. And then suppose that Maine issued a regulation requiring that all ads and promotions in the state of Maine state that the federal figures are misleading and should be disregarded. Would that regulation be preempted? That would be implied conflict preemption, and we would acknowledge that would be preempted. The difference What's the here, difference between that situation and this situation? The difference here is that between a generally applicable rule that is specially targeted at the cigarette industry and a generally applicable rule against deception upon which a fact finder would not need to make any special inquiry about smoking and health. How is that consistent with what the Court said in the Regal case? 
where they said, and I'll quote, we have held that a provision preempting state requirements preempted common law duties. Uh, that's no suggestion that there's a distinction between a focused common law duty, which would be unusual anyway, and a general common law duty. Well, I have three responses, Mr. Chief Justice. The first is that the text in Regal was different. The purposes behind what Congress enacted in the medical device amendments were different. And third, this Court twice, in both Riley and in Chip alone, has looked at this exact statute and come to the opposite conclusion. First, with respect to the text of the medical device amendments, there are several provisions of that Act that are quite a bit broader than what the 1969 Well, the statement in Vigo wasn't referring to the particular text of any statute. It was making a general point. The Court said, we have held that a provision preempting state requirements, which is exactly what this one does, preempted common law duties. And the, the, the result, Mr. Chief Justice, of virtually every one of this Court's preemption cases has been to look at the particular words of the statute to determine the scope of the preemption. The Court did that in Bates. It did that in Morales. So as a general proposition, I understand your position to be that this particular statute doesn't preempt the common law duties. But the distinction I thought you uh, articulated in response to Justice Alito's question was that general common law duties are not preempted, specific tailored ones are. No. You agree that a general common law duty can be preempted by a particular statute. I, I do acknowledge that, Mr. Chief Justice, but my point is that in the medical device amendments, what Congress was getting at were, were things that were quite a bit broader, and it had sweeping language. It said not only to establish but also to continue in effect with respect to a device which relates to the safety or effectiveness to the device or, quote, to any other matter included in a requirement applicable to the device. By contrast — So you're saying that we should — the difference in your case is that the language here is narrower. It says no statement relating to smoking or health. I don't see how that language is narrower. No, well, you're, I think you're quoting 1334A and the preemption provision at issue here, Mr. Chief Justice, is 1334B. Okay, 1334B says no requirement or, or prohibition with respect to. Isn't that just as broad? Well, no, it isn't, because the modifying term that's at issue in this case comes between the two points that you quoted, and that's the phrase, based on smoking and health. Our contention here is that a generalized duty not to deceive is not a requirement based on smoking and health. It's based on a duty not to deceive. How do you tell whether it's deceptive or not if you don't look at what the relationship is between smoking and health. They have an advertisement that says light cigarettes are better for you than regular cigarettes. You have to know what the relationship is between smoking and health to determine whether that's deceptive. No, you don't. You have to look at two products and determine whether or not they are achieving uh, the same yield of tar and nicotine. That's a that relationship is, between smoking and health. And the word relate does not appear in 1334B, and that is crucial because this Court in Safeco versus Burr defined the phrase based upon to mean but for causation. But for smoking and health, is there a requirement? The words related to have been defined by this Court in numerous preemption cases, including Morales, Wolins, ERISA cases, to be among the most sweeping language that Congress can use to denote the connection. Would you have uh, been satisfied if your complaint said, this complaint does not seek any damages based on the link between smoking and health? Well, the the damages here, Mr. Justice Kennedy, are concerned getting two products that are not uh, different. 
It's just like going to a car dealer and saying, I want a Ford. Would and you accept that amendment to your complaint? You say that, this, that the plaintiff does not seek any damages based on some link between smoking and health. I think we would accept that, Justice. Can you accept that and, and then expect to prove uh, damages in the case? It, it, you, can, you can accept it to this extent, it seems to me. You can accept it in, in, in saying that what we are going to prove at step number one is that it is false to indicate that smoking light cigarettes will result in the ingestion of less tire and nicotine, and we know why you're saying that. But in order to prove damages in your case, uh, you would have to say people get hurt because there is a relationship between the ingestion of tire and nicotine and their health, and the same causal, the same causal connection uh, is, is therefore uh, appropriate for, for uh, it, it is therefore necessary in order to prove that people were hurt. In fact, in our case, we are not proving health-related damages. No, but you're, you're asking for injunctive relief, I no, guess. No, we are not asking for injunctive relief. We are asking damages for the difference in value between a product we thought we were buying and a product and, and, we and actually the bought. And the reason the product is of different value uh, is that, in fact, uh, it is dangerous to health as opposed to, or more dangerous or equally dangerous to health as opposed to less dangerous to health, so that at the causation stage, you've still got to prove the link between smoking and health. No, I don't think so, Justice Souter. I think all we have to prove is that the products were different and that we relied materially on a misrepresentation about what product Do you think you could recover uh, if the evidence showed simply uh, that all your clients uh, had the health of Olympic athletes? Yes. You do? Yes, I do, because our, cl- our damages here, Justice Souter, would their harm be, sort of aesthetic? If we bought a product thinking that we- it would be a safer product, and it was not, and we would have quit but if, smoking. But if, if they're healthy as horses, you have no proof that, it's, that it is not? We're, yes, we do, because the product is different. If you buy a car thinking it's a Ford and it's a Yugo, but it still drives, you still have a claim under the Lemon Law. What, what, what if Yugos and Fords are, are worth the same amount of money? That is and, an economic but that, proof. But that's the thing here. If, uh, unless you show that for some, re- for some reason, uh, what, were, were light cigarettes sold at a premium? Did they charge more for light cigarettes? There is economic evidence, Justice Scalia, of a difference in value. And, of course, the preemption did, issue here is my, not — Did they charge more for light cigarettes? They I'm, did not charge more for exactly. light cigarettes. So what what's are your damages? In, yeah, what's the difference in value? Econo- economists have projected that if a person would have quit smoking and therefore not purchased light cigarettes — or would have paid a different amount of money thinking it was getting a safer cigarette, there is an economic value. Why would the person have decided to quit or not to quit? The person would have made that decision based upon the health consequences. Certainly. And the point here about the So ultimately you are proving a point which depends upon the relationship between smoking and health. Justice Souter, I don't think that the liability requirement here, the rule of law that is being imposed under Bates, what Bates said was that you look at the elements of the claim to determine whether or not the requirements are imposed by state law. The requirement that we seek to impose here is the duty not to deceive. Why couldn't you say exactly the same thing about a state law that seeks to protect consumers? They have a, they have a, a rule and the rule is not only cigarette company do you have to say cigarettes are dangerous to your health, you have to put st- skull and crossbones. That's the state law. 
And you say, why? They say, because we're trying to protect consumers. And then you would be up here saying, they're not trying. The duty there is not the duty uh, to put the skull in crossbones. It's the duty to protect consumers. Now, that argument would get nowhere, as you understand. And they're saying, you're making just that kind of argument here, except substitute the word deception. We are not making the same argument here for two reasons. One is that the main statute is not specially targeted at cigarette smoking. It's specially targeted at deception in the marketplace. Under your hypothetical, it would be specially targeted at cigarette companies. Under Riley, that would be preempted. Secondly, skull and crossbones. Excuse I think me. I, before you go, I don't understand that argument. It is not specially targeted at uh, at, at cigarettes and, and, and at the harmful health effects of cigarettes. The statute we seek to invoke is a — It's a general statute, but in Regal, we, we, we took a general <laughs> statute and looked at what its specific application in the case was. Because the statute — You can't get away with, with just coming that. in and say the general statute is just, a, you know, an anti-deception statute. Didn't, didn't we look at, at what the application of it was in the case? You, you looked at it because the statute required you to look at it as applicable, and the purposes behind that act were to give the FDA authority at the pre- um, a marketing that's right. and, and I, I, purposes behind the medical device amendment were completely different. The FTC does not look at these marketing materials before the cigarette that, That's what I wanted that. to get you to talk about just for me for 30 seconds. I can't deal with this conceptual thing because it's hard for me to see the conceptual difference. I can understand, and that may be not true of any other person here, but I can understand somebody saying, yes, this language is very absolute but it doesn't mean to cover everything that it literally applies to. For example, it probably doesn't cover a requirement about workers smoking who put up billboards. And another thing you say it doesn't cover is traditional anti-deception law. Now, that would have to do with the purpose of the statute, not the text. I'm not making your argument for you. I'm giving you an introduction, and I want you to give 30 seconds dealing with the purposes that either says there is something to that line or there isn't. Prior to the enactment of the 1969 Labeling Act, Congress confronted the specter of states imposing warning requirements. And the tobacco companies went to Congress and said, we do not want special burdens imposed on us. We don't want special advantages, but please don't impose special burdens on the cigarette industry. And Congress said, we will wipe away the prospect of state imposing warnings by having a congressionally mandated warning um, on the cigarette packs and in cigarette advertising. Congress said nothing about having anti-deception laws be displaced by states. So that in, your, in the hair hypo that you gave, I think Mr. Olson would have to acknowledge that the cigarette companies were not asking at the time of the 69 Labeling Act to be free of anti-deception laws. They had been out for decades saying cigarette smoking cures the common cold, it makes the throat feel better, all sorts of health-related claims that were deceptive. Mr. Congress Mr. was not Frederick, trying to I, wipe that away. Mr. Frederick, just, did I understand you earlier to say that your complaint did not seek injunctive relief? Um, we are not here seeking injunctive relief for this. Page, and if I Page just, 40, 42A of your amended complaint says you asked the Court to grant such injunctive relief as may be appropriate. Um, 
I, I misspoke, Mr. Chief Justice, with apologies to the Court. Our claim here, though, principally is for damages. And I would also point out that any injunction that would have been ordered here would be superseded by the United States RICO case, where the District Court in the District of Columbia has already issued an injunction um, for the use of light cigarettes because Judge Kessler found in more than 4,000 findings of fact that Philip Morris had engaged in deception in the marketplace and findings of fact beginning at 2023 Fred, and are following. You, are you saying that the consent decree, now because we, we had overtaken Judge Kessler's decision by a consent decree, right? And it has terms. Do the, the consent decree terms uh, allow state attorney generals to say don't advertise low? The consent decree in the master settlement agreement does not address itself to specific issues with regard to light and low tar, to my knowledge. The Kessler order um, does address the deception by lights and low tar, and the reason is temporal. When the master settlement agreement was entered into in the late 90s, the tobacco companies had not yet acknowledged publicly that they had been engaged in deception with respect to studies regarding low tar and light cigarettes. That came to light in 2002, and as a result of the discovery that occurred in the government's case and in state cases, the studies that the cigarette companies knew for decades that there was no difference in the yield for low tar and light cigarettes um, came to light. And so the master settlement agreement was not — it had certain provisions about the way cigarettes could be marketed, but, but the Judge Kessler opinion in the government's RICO case actually makes findings of fact on this score, and the complaint here essentially tracks the allegations in the government's. All we seek to do is to provide a remedy to consumers that have been defrauded by Philip Morris. Could, could, a state, could a state attorney general say, under my authority to check against false and deceptive advertising, no cigarette company can advertise in this state low or light? I think that would fall in the Riley line of being preempted because it would be specially targeted and there would be no room for a cigarette maker to say, truthfully, our product actually does yield lower and light. So it could not be a requirement based on deception. It would have to be a requirement based on smoking and health under your hypothetical. Weren't the uh, claims that were held to be preempted in Cipollone uh, based on general common law duties? Yes, they were. Those, the fraudulent neutralization of warning claim and the failure to warn claim were common law claims, Justice Alito. But the difference here is that in Chipolone, the plurality plus the three justices who joined uh, Justice Blackmun's opinion and would have found no common law claims preempted, seven justices found fraud claims that are virtually identical to ours not to be preempted because Congress lacked any intent to displace state laws concerning deception. Mr. Frederick, if I take away from your oral argument that it is your position that this suit is not based on a link between smoking and health. I have difficulty in accepting um, your position in this entire case. Do you have a secondary position that it is based on a link between smoking and health, but it is subject to a general duty that is that supersedes or is quite an, in addition to labeling? The requirement 
is, is what I, I would urge you to focus on, Justice Kennedy, and the requirement that is being imposed here is not a requirement that has to do specifically with smoking and health. There is a second argument, which is that even under the application of that generalized duty, the jury here or the trial court would not be asked to look at the linkage between smoking and health. It could simply say, have a scientist up there who says the yield of a light cigarette is no different than the Mr. yield of a regular Perry, cigarette. I understand your basic argument to be that this statute is a prohibition against state warnings in either promotion or advertising different from the federal warning. That's correct. That was the general purpose of the statute. There is language, this of course, that — This specific provision deals only with the contents of the advertising that might be described as warnings different from those in the federal scheme. That's absolutely correct, Justice Stevens. And here what we're talking about with these light descriptors are comparisons between two products that, in but fact, are not Your answer different. to Justice Ginsburg's question was that the State Attorney General could not impose a regulation that said that, say, that you must say — that uh, low-tar cigarettes have as much nicotine as regular cigarettes. If the Attorney General couldn't do that, why can the plaintiff do it in this lawsuit? Well, the Attorney General could bring the same suit that we bring here, Justice Kennedy. The difference is between a — No, the hypothetical was the Attorney General requires this as a regulation under his authority. And, And let me answer the hypothetical this way. The Attorney General can bring the lawsuit under the State Deceptive Practices Act but cannot issue a generalized regulation targeted at the cigarette industry that takes truth completely out of the equation. Because if another cigarette company comes up and says, we actually have a light cigarette that is lower in tar, and we can prove He wins the lawsuit. He wins the lawsuit that is false and deceptive to say low. Could he then have a regulation that says cigarette companies don't advertise low or light? I think that's a much more difficult hypo, but I think the answer is the same, and that would be no, because a regulation would be, gen- would be specifically targeted at the industry, and it would be based on smoking and health, not deception. In an injunctive situation, adjudicatory facts can evolve. A company can come forward and say the facts have changed, circumstances have changed, please modify the injunction. That can't happen when a generalized regulation is imposed that is specifically targeted at facts, regardless of their truth or veracity. Well, can you make that concrete? What would change about the label low or light? If the, if the uh, company came forward and said, we've redesigned our cigarette, and it in fact does yield less tar and nicotine under a scientifically verifiable test, that would be — that would run afoul of a regulation, but it would not run afoul of the general duty not to deceive. Thank you, Mr. Freeman. Thank you. Mr. Hallward, Meyer. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. It will not surprise you that my first question is, why did the United States not address the express preemption argument? And second, what is the position of the United States on the express preemption argument? Your Honor, uh, the United States did not participate on the question of the scope of the express preemption uh, provision in CHIP alone. And to a large extent, the express preemption question in this case is what was the meaning of the decision in CHIP alone. Uh, and so that is of, of less 
interest uh, to the United States than certainly the second question presented, which has to do with the FTC's own authority and its exercise of that authority. All right. Well, that's why you didn't address it. Now, what is the position of the United States? It's a statute that is directed to an area in which the federal government has an extensive interest in regulation, and I would have thought there'd be a position on that. It is logically antecedent to the implied preemption. You would consider whether there's an express preemption before implied preemption. Your Honor, uh, the United States has not taken a position on the bottom line of the first question presented. The petitioner says you have in an earlier case. I, I, I don't believe that the position that the United States stated in Riley is dispositive of the first question presented in this case. But, again, that doesn't mean that the brief that the United States has filed with respect to implied preemption is not relevant. Well, it's not anymore. I understood, I understood Mr. Olson to give up on implied preemption in his opening argument. Well, I, I Implied th- preemption is all that you address, right? But we, so we address. It's pretty easy for you to win on that. <laughs> I, I, I would hope so. Thank you. But we also address a question that is common to the two, two questions presented, and that is, an argument that the petitioners make with respect to implied preemption, but they also make it with respect to express preemption. And that is, and and Justice Ginsburg alluded to the question Does the FTC at this point in 2008 have an opinion about whether the tar and nicotine figures that are produced by this testing method are meaningful or misleading? Well, as Your Honor is aware, we submitted a, a supplemental authority letter that in July of this year, the Commission issued a request for comment on a proposal to rescind its guidance with respect to the tar and nicotine uh, test results precisely because of a concern that they are misleading due to the evidence that has developed about the incidence of compensation. That was not believed at the time that the Commission issued its guidance back in 1966 and 67 to present a significant problem. But it is evident now the scientific community indicates, and certainly the, the, the findings of fact in the RICO case are, that the, that the tobacco companies have known since 1967 that, in fact, compensation is nearly complete. And, and for that reason, the tar and nicotine yield via the uh, Cambridge test method are not indicative of the yield to a true human smoker. And for that reason, they've proposed to withdraw that would it, be, would it be unfair to, to say that for quite some time now, nearly 40 years, the FTC has tacitly approved the placement of these tar and nicotine figures in advertisements? With respect to the uh, — I, I want first to take issue with the question of approved, because I think that it, it draws an analogy to the FDA context, to Regal and the like, and that is not the nature of what the Federal Trade Commission does. It, it doesn't stand well, as a case. proposed a rule to, to require it, did you not? We proposed a rule to require the disclosure of tar and And you withdrew that after the companies voluntarily agreed to place the information on the ads. That's correct. And entered into consent decrees with other companies requiring them to put the information in their ads. No, the consent decrees did not require them to put the information in their ads. It said that it would be deceptive to make claims about the tar and nicotine content of the cigarettes without expressing in milligrams what the, what the yield was per the Cambridge test method. 
But that's a very different thing. It's a prohibition. They were ordered to cease and desist making claims about tar and nicotine content without giving the consumer the benefit of the, the yield figures. But the, the Commission has never, uh, specifically at issue in this case, are the descriptors light or lower in tar. In 1997, the Commission issued a notice in which it said these terms are not defined by federal law. They asked whether there should Was be there a official guidance. Was there a difference between saying light and saying lower in tar in accordance with the Cambridge testing method? Yes, Your Honor, because the, the, the light on its own much more conveys the impression to the consumer that this is the yield to the consumer himself, the actual human smoker. And, and in fact, that was why the, com- the FEC's position seems to me incomprehensible. If these figures are meaningless, then, then you should have prohibited them a long or misleading. You should have prohibited them a long time ago. Well, you're, and, and you've created this whole problem by, I think, tacitly approving the placement of these figures on the, uh, on the, on, on, in, in the advertisements. And if they are misleading, then you have misled everybody who's bought those cigarettes for a long time. They, whether they are or are not misleading depends upon the incidence of compensation. At the time the Commission issued its guidance in 1966 and 67, the uh, HEW report was that in- compensation was not expected to be a problem, it was not believed to be a problem. Beginning in 1983, when, um, in light of the Barclays, uh, case in which it was determined that a particular cigarette, the yield, according to the test method, had nothing to do with the yield to an actual consumer. The FTC started to inquire about this. But the co- petitioners, although they have known since 1967 about the incidence of compensation, failed to disclose that information to the Commission. They have failed to, they have refused to give them the benefit of their insights, of their own studies. The Commission has asked. When did the Commission know of this stuff? I, I had a case when I was on the Court of Appeals, so it, it had to be before uh, 1984, involving so-called lip drape. You're right. By which the smoker covers up the little, uh, in, in little 19, holes that, that, that bring in some fresh air. In, in 1978. Well, it, it's been general knowledge for a long time. There is, the FTC has done nothing. There has been a question. In 1978, the Commission issued a notice requesting comment about whether lip drape, in fact, occluded the, uh, the holes that dilute the uh, concentration of the air. And the tobacco companies did not respond to that, even though they had their own study showing that it was a problem. So it is, it is true that the Commission is only now uh, issued the notice proposing to withdraw its earlier guidance. But the petitioners themselves should not be able to benefit from their own misleading of the Commission. But, again, I think it's more fundamental than that, is that their arguments rely upon a misconception of what the Commission does. As, as Justice Souter noted, it is Hornbook law. The Commission does not supplant state law. It acts cooperatively with state law. The Commission does not act as a gatekeeper like FDA in approving things. It acts as a law enforcement agency. It goes after fraud when it is aware of it. But that is not to the exclusion of state 
law enforcement agencies or other federal law enforcement agencies. Can I ask a question? I, I plan to go back and, and see what the government said in the in the case that uh, uh, that petitioner asserts uh, you you have effectively supported uh, uh, his position on uh, on um, express preemption. I, I plan to go back and read it. Assuming I agree with him rather than you, uh, has the government's position changed from what it was then? Uh, as far I, as you know, is the government's position still the same, the position that you delicately did not bring to our attention? This is in the Riley case. In the, in the Riley case. Yeah, in Riley. The, the, I haven't read the brief there, I must say. But suppose I agree with the petition. Can I assume? Of and, course. And, and so do you assume that the it's The position of the United States, mm. as stated in the Riley case, was that the express preemption provision did not preempt a, uh, a, a regulation of the nature in that case. It was our position that that, because it was adopted no, I'm, I'm not asking I'll figure that out on my own. Okay. Trust me. I, I can probably figure that out. But once I have figured it out, can I assume that that is still the government's position? Well, I would think Whatever. that we would — I would think that we would need to — Revisit the question in light of this court's holding in Riley, in light of the uh, additional precedent that there has been over the last uh, uh, decade or whatever it's been since that decision was was issued. So, um, and you have no idea which direction that would lead. We have not taken a position on on the first on the bottom line of the first question presented. Although, as I say, I'm going to hold you to your, to your last position just just for, just for fun. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Olson, you have four minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. We haven't given up the implied preemption argument, but I didn't. You just, you just didn't want I, to argue it. I, we, we feel that we explained it very thoroughly in our briefs, and I thought, knowing that the time was limited, I thought we should focus on the strongest argument, I think, by any stretch of the imagination when Congress has spoken directly. Now, first of all, with respect to what the Solicitor General, on behalf of the United States, says, and this is in response to the point that Justice Scalia was just addressing, page one of the Riley brief, the Attorney General is responsible for enforcing the Labeling Act. So it is the government's responsibility, according to them, to enforce the Labeling Act. Then on pages eight and nine of their brief, in distinguishing between the location of the billboards in that case and other things that would be preempted. Pages 8 and 9, the government said the Labeling Act preempts state laws concerning the content of cigarette advertising with respect to smoking and health. And the acting Solicitor General on page 25 of the transcript of the argument that day in this case was asked that question, what is preempted? And she said it preempts state law claims about filters or the safety of a particular cigarette. That is this case. So the point, it doesn't preempt rules about location. It preempts rules about content. That was the government's right, that's point. That's the government's Court position. Held. Now, if that's their position, isn't it just one additional step to say, depending on what the history of the statute is, that it preempts regulations about content that don't have to do with lying about the content. It has to do, according to what Congress said, about the content of the advertising um, and the promotion of cigarettes. That's what this case is about when it has to do with smoking and health. Now, 
my opponent has seems to run away in answer to your question about what if we take out smoking and health from their complaint. Well, they can't take out smoking. That is everywhere in the complaint. I ask the Court to sit down and compare the labeling statute with the complaint. And the words are indistinguishable. Um, and it's, then they say it over and over again. And on page 4A of then Mr. Fredericks um, is saying, well, all they want is economic damages. They're really not they're, — they're just concerned about they got one cigarette and they wanted to get another cigarette. Page 4A, this is the way the Court of Appeals understood it. This is page 4A of the petition appendix. The plaintiffs explain that the relative levels of these substances bear on a reasonable consumer's decision on which cigarette to purchase because consumers understand that reducing the quantities of tar and nicotine in cigarettes reduces their adverse health effects. That is what this case is all about. Now, I will just conclude in this way. The statute, in the language of this Court, in the Riley case, uses sweeping language. The language is every bit as sweeping as the language in the Airline Deregulation Act that uses the phrase relates to, I submit. So there's three requirements. Are the, are the statute prohibits any or, and, and uses the phrase any. You can't get more expansive than that and uses the word no. Requirements or prohibition. The Court has dealt with requirements and prohibition in Riley, Chipolone, Bates, Wollins, Regal, the statute that we're talking about here, in this case, is the same statute, essentially, that it was dealing with in Riley. It's a State Unfair Practices Act. It was Massachusetts, Maine, but I compared the statute side by side. They're essentially the same. Is, it, is the requirement based upon smoking and health? Well, the complaint specifically says so. The relief is based upon the relationship between smoking and health. And is it in promotion? or advertising of tobacco. Again, they've said that over and over again. I submit that the statute could not be more clear. This particular complaint seeks to impose a regulation. Isn't it correct that your argument requires us to reject the fraud analysis and ch chip loan? Yes, I, I believe it does. However, Justice Stevens, I believe when you talked about in that the plurality opinion, um, you talked about minimizing, reducing, negating, the effect of the warning labels. That's also this complaint. This is a complaint is identical to what you were referring to on page 527 of Chippewa. Thank you, Mr. Olson. The case is submitted.